0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Chris Kakalis of Pivot Cycles, an innovative, highly technical mountain bike manufacturing company in Arizona. You'll find out that Chris is a leading bicycle design expert and was an early innovator in carbon mountain bike frame manufacturing. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Chris Kakalis of Pivot Cycles. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yes, yeah, so I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Um, where did you grow up, and what would you say your childhood was like?
1: Um, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, suburbs of Chicago, and uh, yeah, it was pretty normal. <laughs> normal yeah. childhood. Uh, did all the normal things, soccer and other sports, and uh, yeah, we had uh, in the area I lived, we, we had a fair number of BMX tracks as well, so mm. uh, got to start biking at an early age.
0: Yeah. I mean, so what got you into that? Where was your family into biking as well? Your parents or what did that kind of introduction look like?
1: Uh, not at all. I actually don't know what my particular attraction to it was because we we're definitely a, a ball sports family. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of leaned right away towards the, the biking stuff and, um, yeah, just really got into hanging out at the local bike shop and, Uh and riding with friends and and then discovering BMX racing and and that's uh, Honestly, like dragging the family along. Yeah for that journey
0: (laughs) (laughs) So for retrospect like what age did you get into actual like racing taking it serious and kind of what did that journey look like?
1: Well, I started really, uh being, uh, as we would say, a bike shop Grom or the kid they could just couldn't get rid of when I was nine. Okay. Um, and I believe I was, uh, 12 or 13, uh, when I started really racing seriously.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So then I saw you on, you went out and studied at Arizona state. Um, what yes. led you there and then what did you end up studying there as well?
1: Well, um, it, it, In Illinois, we, uh, the, the bike racing season would uh, often get interrupted by weather Mm. and I used to come out to Arizona for the winter nationals. Uh, and out here there was enough BMX tracks. You could, uh, literally race every night of the week. So, uh, that was uh, from an 18, 19 year olds perspective. Uh, that was kind of my, uh, aside from going to school, that was my major draw to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and why I wound up here.
0: Incredible. So, with your time at the university, um, what did you study? Kind of, what were some of your interests outside of biking? Uh, did you were you involved with any clubs, or what did that look like?
1: I I was racing BMX while I was here, and then started in school in the electrical engineering department, and okay. uh, uh, did that was in electrical engineering for about three and a half years. And then at some point decided I did not like electrical engineering so much Mm. and switched over to the business school and uh, wound up graduating with an accounting degree of all things.
0: Wow. So out of curiosity. um, So you have a heavy background in biking all the way up to this point. Um, Upon graduation, what did you end up doing uh, for job wise prior to pivot?
1: Uh, Well, while I was in school, I quickly found out that I I had not saved quite enough money to fully get myself through school. And, uh, I had worked in bike shops back in, in Illinois and, uh, wound up getting a job in a local shop here and, and that's where I discovered mountain biking. That wasn't really a big thing in Illinois. Um, so worked in bike shops, managed bike shops all through college. And actually started uh, a company previous to Pivot mm. uh, while in university, my junior, senior year. And we, we got a contract to build bicycles for a company called Univega Bikes mm. uh, during my senior year of college and wound up uh, starting Titus, Titanium at that time. Wow. And owned that for 17 years. So I didn't actually... uh, Although I was interviewing with accounting firms, I did not actually wind up uh, taking any of those jobs and wound up pursuing uh, my own business. That's
0: incredible. I'm curious then, uh, the early days, what did manufacturing those bikes look like and production wise? Was it yourself? Did you have anyone assisting? What did that look like?
1: Yeah, originally... it started out with myself and, um, a titanium welder. Hmm. Uh, my business partner at the time, we, uh, he worked at an aerospace company and, uh, in their materials testing lab and, uh, was welding various materials and myself from the bike background, we, we started making different parts and then eventually frames and started, from meeting people at races, uh, met somebody that, uh, had a design, met somebody that had a, a, a new bike design and they mm. were shopping it around to several different bike companies. Mm. I wound up building the prototypes for them. And, and then eventually it wound up at Univega Wow! and, uh, unbeknownst to them, uh, their contact with me was working through the designs and, uh, receiving the prototypes and, uh, they, and we had a company name, uh, Mm -hmm. which, which they were paying us through that. And so from their perspective, they really had no idea that it was a kid in college and a guy in his garage. And yeah. Um, and so we wound up, it was was during my senior year that we received a purchase order for 175 titanium full suspension bikes. Wow. And, um, at that time I think it was taking about six to eight weeks for me to build one. (laughs) So, it, uh, it wasn't really a viable business at that, at that time. Yeah. Um, however, I had one of my accounting professors, uh, I was doing working through, uh, my accounting thesis and he was the head of the accounting program. He was also a cyclist and basically gave me the advice. You can always be an accountant. And, uh, at that time he was writing a textbook and didn't, uh, Need the the finances from the te- textbook and offered uh, to to invest in me and wow uh, and and give us what we needed to get started. So wow. uh, initially it was fifteen thousand dollars from him. Oh wow! And then my uh, welder business partner, his boss at work, also was interested in what we were doing. And he put in fifteen thousand dollars, and then eventually they put in each put in another fifteen thousand dollars. But right from the get go, with with the the fifteen thousand dollars from each, we were able to lease a building, and uh, through my business partners' contacts at work, there was lots of swing shift titanium weld- welders that were certified in titanium, and so we would uh, when they came off their night shift, mm. uh, they they would come to work and. Uh, we would have the frames prepped and ready to, to weld. And yep. they they would put in a few hours and then wow. go on their way. And so we had a kind of a, a revolving door of three or four uh, really high-end talented welders and uh, were able to get things going.
0: Wow. I, I think that purchase order really proved kind of the the momentum you guys had going forward. I'm curious, you, you mentioned it took a six to eight weeks for one. Once you guys brought on these swing welders at the time, how, how long did that purchase order take then?
1: I don't remember how many frames we could build a day. Um, it was, it, it probably started off to where we were able to build one every two days, but, um, kind of seeing how things progressed. I, I, I think by the time we were done with that, we were doing three or four frames a day.
0: Yeah. Incredible. So, t- as far as the production side, where were you guys? Manu, or where were you sourcing um, most of your parts in those early stages, at, especially?
1: Well, basically from the from the perspective of the materials. Yep. Um, really, from the the my business partner and his his boss at work, their aerospace background, mm-hmm. we had really immediate access to all the same vendors that would supply titanium materials and uh and that was i was already uh even previous to starting that i was working with some machine shops in town and designing other bike parts Mm -hmm. and had a some things going based on my experience from bmx and moving over to mountain bikes and really breaking a lot of the same parts that we used to break in the 80s yeah and bmx were breaking again and so developing a lot of components prior to building the frames so I had a machine shop uh several machine shop relationships in town mm-hmm. getting things machined sourcing the materials and uh and then developing all the weld fixtures and everything kind of came along with the the group of people I was associating with yep uh from a that initial project we were we were just supplying frames to them and they're they're company was assembling the bicycles. Mm -hmm. Um, but we also had the, the Titus brand name, which we were actively going to trade shows and marketing and building our own business for our own brand. Yep. Um, and that's actually how I met, uh, the individual with the suspension design in the first place because we were riding prototypes and bike races. Mm. And, uh, um, and so that was also taking off at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, there was, just really a a couple main competitors in the world of titanium. Yeah. And although the bikes were very light, uh, they weren't the best riding bikes in the market. And so we really wanted to combine kind of what was the best in the marketplace as far as cutting edge mountain bike design and ride quality uh, with the lightweight of titanium. And, so doing things quite a bit differently than the other two companies, which were really road bike based companies at the time, yeah. um, w- was our big thing and also developing flexible manufacturing. And that's what allowed us to do these prototypes. We also wound up uh, building bikes for LeMond bikes, for yeah. Diamondback bikes. Uh, over the first five years of the company, wow. uh, we were taking work from anywhere we could get it, but we were involved in a lot of development projects with with other bigger brands while developing our own brand.
0: Yeah. I would love to hear. So a number of years before pivot, you guys scaled this, um, what percentage would you say was manufacturing for those other brands in comparison to your own brand at that time? What kind of percentage of the, of the business was that?
1: I think in the first few years, our, our volume percentage, not necessarily the dollar percentage was, uh, OEM work for other brands was pushing, probably 60% mm-hmm. and I think it was about year five to year seven that really started to realize we were building, a, we were not only building but designing a lot of products for others yeah. and uh, as I like to put it, we were building bikes for half price and getting paid late on everything and yeah. uh, and really decided to, and then we saw, we saw some of our other competitor brands that companies that were around the same age, as as Titus was, that had only had their own brand and where those companies were sitting in the marketplace compared to our brand name. Mm. And at that point, I really decided to focus more on building Titus's brand image and name and, and going after our customers and market. And during those times, we also were building complete, starting to build complete bicycles and dealing with all the vendors in the bicycle industry.
0: Incredible. What, what kind of a uh, product line did you guys end up having prior to Pivot then with, with Titus? What what kind of range and how many um, models would you say?
1: Uh, we had both road and mountain bikes and full suspension bikes. I, the the depth of the line wasn't quite as large as what we have today at Pivot, mm. but it was everything from cross country to trail um, to downhill bikes. We We had the full gamut. And then we were also had some carbon fiber technologies and, uh, did a lot of custom frames, which is not what we do here. Most of the bikes, well, in the early years, all of the bikes were made in house. Um, and then we reached a point of volume and size where we started contract manufacturing some of the aluminum product out of house, but the custom side of things was always an important part of what, what we did at Titus
0: for sure. So pivot comes around two thousand seven. I'm curious, this transition from Titus to Pivot. What led this, What led to this transition? What was the differentiation? If you can explain kind of that founding.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. It, it was a little bit of a rough time in in, in really two thousand five, two thousand six. Mm. Uh, we had a one of the companies we manufactured rear triangles and helped with some designs was an aerospace company here in town that had a division that they spun off to find consumer uses for their aerospace technologies. Mm. So one of the things they wanted to do was carbon fiber mountain bike frames. And we uh, they were doing the front triangles. We were helping them with the geometry, the designs, and we were welding the rear triangles. And that was uh, because they were this big bu- publicly traded company. They, they were, in essence, my best customer as far as they paid on time, whatever the quote was, they were, they were happy. And, uh, and it was a good relationship. They always took our feedback. They were new to the bicycle industry. Mm. Um, and, and with the kind of money they had behind them, it, it, everything worked out well. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, the aerospace company decided that, uh, the consumer division wasn't as profitable as aerospace and, uh, they decided to make a switch and essentially end all their consumer product goods um that company was spun off uh the president of that company uh put together an investment group and uh he in, invited me to take a look at the opportunity mm. and we wound up in 2001 merging Titus with ViaTech which is the name of the company mm-hmm. and uh, in uh, in essence I wound up taking a minority share in both companies yeah and that uh, that partnership and that deal, uh, without an aerospace company backing it, uh, turned out to be pretty much a bad financial play for all partners and investors Mm. involved. And so, um, they had run through all all their capital. The only thing that was profitable was Titus. They did not have a lot of say in who was on the board and how, who we paid and Mm. how the money was going to flow anymore and, uh, and us being the kind of the last man standing, uh, they chose to start to pull substantial amounts of money out of Titus. Mm. I had an option at the end of five years to, uh, an opportunity to be bought out or to buy them out. If things weren't working out, they, they, uh, they put a rather high value on the company that mm. was a bit unrealistic, and so I took the opportunity to be bought out. Yeah, and uh, and a year long later, launched Pivot. So.
0: Wow. So, what did that transition look like, team wise? Where did you pull some of your your ex employees from Titus at the time to transfer over with you? What did that look like?
1: The only uh, at the time, the only employee that uh, that came with me was we had actually hired an outside consultant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a composites consultant to help us develop some of our products at Titus. We had carbon fiber handlebars and some technologies for molding carbon fiber and, uh, getting those up and working in production. Um, that was his expertise. We became good friends during that. Like I said, he was a consultant and, uh, worked on during the year I was gone from Titus. Um, not only was I working on the business plan for pivot, but also had to, to eat, so yeah. Took another job and uh, was uh, designing and selling uh, bicycle rack components and parts. Interesting. Uh, it was a it was a machine shop, a company that we in uh, Southern California that we had worked with on different projects for a long time, and they kind of had a need for somebody to take over this division, and uh, it was. So uh when I went to work for them, it didn't violate my no compete because bike racks and bicycle frames are pretty far apart from each other. Yeah. It allowed me to stay connected and and work on things in the bike industry. But uh the the guy that consulted with us, Kevin Taishu, um, he is one of our founding partners in, in pivot
0: mm-hmm. and
1: still our head of engineering today. Incredible. And uh so the two of us worked on some of these bike rack projects together. Uh, he do he did the design and CAD work on uh, on some of these projects, and uh, and then we both started working on what was going to be the the launch of a new bike company. Wow! And and all the designs that we had to get done in in a year. So
0: wow, I, I, yeah, I can't believe that transition from so many years in the industry prior, and then all of a sudden restarting launching a new company. I'm curious. What did that first launch look like? Was there certain bikes and models you wanted to launch with? Was it one bike? What did that launch look like?
1: Uh, it was two bikes. Okay. You know, it was in some respects, it was incredibly challenging because, yeah, leaving a company that you didn't really expect to leave, mm. it was it, it, when I had to make that decision, it, it was the hardest decision I had ever made in my life. Honestly, it was yeah. it was my baby. My, my name practically was the name on the door. And all the development, everything we did, uh, w- was based on my background and knowledge. And mm. um, and then leaving that, uh, I mean, there was a f- definitely a few weeks of, do I even want to do this anymore? Mm. And then that changing to um, a bit of anger, as you can imagine. Yeah. And, and then how we're gonna how we're gonna do this? But the start of Titus being. From my junior, senior year in college, other than that minor investment, pretty much was operating off of personal credit cards and yeah. learning as you go. And when you're in your 20s and you just don't have that that really business background, um, the the hard knocks of of real world life, and <laughs> just the budgeting and making decisions that weren't necessarily the best long-term or the best possible decision that you could make Yeah. based on finances. Um, you did what you could do to, to get by and make things happen. Mm. And that scrappiness was important, but it also in some ways formed what the company was. Yep. And it would have taken a big evolution. I mean, we were at the size we were when I left, uh, even at the size we were when when we merged with Viatech, we were over we were probably twenty-three employees, um, over a five million dollar a year company, mm. and and we were still operating on QuickBooks, <laughs> <laughs> and the and the inventory systems were. Uh, <laughs> basically the new inventory system was putting a whole bunch of uh ceiling bike racks in an expanded building (laughs) everything by rows and colors so you could take a quick peek back there and see if you had any (laughs) um and so the development of of pivot cycles was so much more than just the opportunity to make new bike product it was really okay these are all the things i learned if i got a blank sheet of paper and we were going to do a budget and and really lay this out to, to be a $50 million company, a hundred million dollar company. Yeah. Um, what, what needs to be in place from, from the get go. And, and those were really the, the, I guess, more significant and, and more difficult things to develop and, and have in place for sure. And, and today we're 16 years later and, we made, we know we made some very good decisions in that respect, cause we are still operating on the same ERP systems yeah. and they, they have scaled with us. Uh, and then also that opportunity to take a look at it and start with the correct funding and hire the right people for the right positions. Mm. We, m- most of the core management team here is the same core management team that was here when we started 17, 16 years ago.
0: Wow.
1: So, um, So those decisions really set us up for success. But on the product side, it was, we took everything I loved about what we were doing at Titus and wanted to evolve where the mountain bike was going and and what we wanted to do in the future. And one of those things kind of really meant the difficult decisions of saying we can't be everything to everyone. We did so much custom product. I did every custom bike drawing I think over the years I did about 6,000 custom wow. bike drawings Wow! Um, where I'm sitting at the CAD doing the work on this yeah. and to scale the company to where we wanted it to go, we chose to do more sizes of a really high end custom product. So we launched with a four inch travel aluminum cross country race bike mm. and a five inch travel trail bike. Those were our two best selling categories at Titus. Yep, and really kind of dominated the market and with those designs we brought some technologies that had not been seen in the bike industry before mm-hmm. things that i'd kind of been kicking around and sitting on for a few years and um and yeah it it marked a great success from from the get-go from for the size of the company and where we were at it was also in 2007 uh, Interbike 2007, which is the trade show where we launched, mm-hmm. um, was September in September of 2007, and uh, October of 2007 is when the banks all crashed with the housing crisis. Yep, and we, it was interesting because we had our business plan, and we we're pretty small and nimble, and all of our large competitors were not so small and nimble. Mm. and that reduction in business and in the world kind kind of coming to the skids it was uh uh it was highly impactful on our our competitors at the time mm. uh i know one of our competitors had to let lay off about half of their their staff wow. and uh and talking to the owner at, at the other company over the years it was like those were they they didn't know if they were going to make it, mm. and we were a company of of five people I think when we launched six people something like that
0: yeah um, where the entire company is uh, at the trade show probably yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> worked we till three in the morning before the trade show drove the the, the
0: yeah the, <laughs> it's the truck
1: to the trade show set up the trade show yeah it was the it, that was it and so we really had nowhere to go but up and mm-hmm. even though the market was down um, I mean all the the magazines and everything were hurting. So what we had budgeted for our marketing plan, um, it, it went maybe not twice as far, but 30% more because they weren't getting advertisers. So if you would advertise with them, they give you a two pages mm. spreads every month instead of one page or mm. for the price of what, six months of advertising was when we, when we budgeted, it was now you get the whole year for that amount. Mm and then people still wanted to demo and ride bikes. And that was, uh, we, we put a, uh, we had a big program truck and trailer demo driver and, uh, going to all the events in the U S and so we got a lot of people on the product early at a time when a lot of the largest bike companies had completely pulled their Mm. demo programs off the road to save money. And, uh, so I think it gave us a a, a really great opportunity. Yeah. That uh, when I look back at it, we're like, oh my god, what's going on? This is the worst time to start a company. Mm. And uh, I think it maybe looking back on it, it was probably the best time to start a company.
0: Yeah, that's very fascinating. So with bikes, especially, I know there's a couple of industries like this, but it sounds like trade shows and those magazine features is what really kicks it off as an awareness play. Um, would you say that used, that had it used vital to success? Be. Yeah. It used to be. Used Uh, to be. Yeah. uh,
1: Yeah. All the dealers came to the main trade shows. Yeah. Uh, Trade shows have dwindled to almost nothing now. And and the way you have to go about it is quite a bit different. But but yeah, media is still whether preprint or online is still a huge part of whether how a product launches.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned some of those core hires that are still in your management team today. I'm curious on the hiring point of view in those like first five years of pivot. What would you say were those first crucial hires for the company's scaling ability?
1: Well, we our first our operations manager, um, and now he's inventory control manager. But uh, it it was almost by accident that we got him. It was he came from Intel, but uh, okay, the. Uh, the CEO of Bell Sports at the time, mm-hmm. uh, shot me, a, an email. I, I had never met him actually. And, um, and certainly it was supposed to be a secret that we were starting a new bike company, <laughs> but there's there's honestly, there's no secrets in the bike industry. You yeah. Like the joke. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he, he said, you need to look at this guy for your new project. And, um, Uh, said sure and we did and wound up hiring him uh some of the other people we were people that i had dealt with at titus in the bike industry um and that i i just kept in touch with and yeah and was made offers to and uh some of them weren't able to come on board right away Mm -hmm. some of them weren't interested and it's amazing because over the first couple of years pretty much everybody that I had contacted with that wow. as, as we grew where they saw what was going on. yeah, We got everybody on board that we wanted to get on board.
0: Oh, that's exciting. So, so you, you launched with the first two bikes um, for the listeners out there, kind of retrospect, what did that momentum kind of look like angle wise of lines and new offerings. What, what did you guys then uh, step forward with from there?
1: Well, th- those two categories, when we look at um, mountain biking in general, you can, you can chop the pie up pretty, pretty thin. Um, so cross country bike, trail bike, kind of the all around mountain bike are your two kind of core items. And then, um, those were suspension bikes. And the next one was a longer travel bike, Mm. uh, the firebird and then a downhill bike and launching a world cup downhill team. We have different wheel sizes in mountain biking. And mm-hmm. uh, back then, everything was 26 inch wheels, 29 uh, inch wheels were coming. Mm-hmm. So then, starting to do iterations of that four and that five inch travel bike and 29 inch wheel versions. Yeah. And it just grew from there. And then going outside of the suspension bike realm and doing a, a cross country hardtail and a, a gravel or road bike. And, uh, yeah, to this day, we continue to to expand into different markets.
0: I'm curious uh, for the R&D process, say like you want to launch a new line or a new model. What does that process look like from your internal team? Um, if you can explain.
1: It's about a three-year process. So yeah. when we look at what the market is doing, what we want to produce, uh, I'll usually start with the concept of what say it's a suspension bike, what the the suspension travel is going to be, what wheel size, what tires it needs to clear, what gearing, what certain things with the suspension without getting too technical leverage ratios and shock stroke. And there's just a lot of details of how this bike is going to work into this category. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll lay all all that stuff out. um, And basically all the compatibility things we want to have with different suspension, different parts manufacturers. And then, um, Kevin, our head of engineering and some of our other engineering team will start to work on developing an initial layout and prototypes. Mm. Uh, we work, uh, with a suspension design called DW link and, uh, Dave from DW link. He's, he's got some patents in the bike industry. And Mm. as we were developing new bikes, uh, to launch pivot, we quickly found out we were crossing into his patent backyard. And uh, we uh, we'd known each other for a long time, so it became pretty natural and easy for us to work together. Yeah, we still work with him today, so we have a little bit of back and forth on whether this meets the what he wants out of his patents. And uh, and then, yeah, we start to design prototypes. And originally, we would build those prototypes all out of aluminum. Mm-hmm. Now, our R and D department here, we have um, a bank of CNC machines as well as, uh, carbon CNC cutters, molds, everything we need to, Mm. to build the prototype. So, um, we will develop everything in a way that would make the bike easier to go to production and we'll build all the prototypes out of carbon fiber. Uh, we'll, we'll begin to test those. We might change angles, geometry, Mm. how far the cranks are off the ground, certain things in the suspension, lots of, of different details. And I think the most, uh, extensive process, we had one bike where I think we went o- over the project w- took more than three years, but I think we went through seven different rounds of prototypes before we really r- arrived at what, what would be the bike we would launch huh. with. Uh, oftentimes it's two. um, sometimes if it's a redesign of a current bike and we're really just testing some new things or it's something we launched on a different bike and it's moving into a different category. Yeah. It might be one or two prototypes. Yeah. Um, while we're doing that, we, uh, we have, uh, four industrial designers on staff mm-hmm. and, uh, depending on who's getting the project uh, for each new model, they'll start working on the conceptual layout of, uh, of, based on the prototype of what this thing would look like in production in a full yeah. carbon po- fiber monocoque frame. And, uh, we'll develop the look and everything side by side with what we're doing, uh, in the prototype development. Um, so that we're not having to finish prototyping and then move on sure. to design. And some things might change in the design process while we're going through prototyping, but certainly, uh, but we can run those things in parallel and, uh, eventually they, they merge together and you finalize designs um, and start working with the factory on uh, certain aspects of obviously quoting and tooling and all of those things certainly uh, and at some point you pull the trigger on opening tooling for full carbon fiber frames and uh, from the day you open those those tools it's about one year to the first production bikes
0: got it Incredible. Just out of curiosity, since we heard from the beginning of production time, what does production of a full bike start to finish look like today?
1: Uh, well, it for manufacturing a frame. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people doing it, a lot of different steps. Certainly. Um, I would out of out of one mold of one size, we can do about three hundred frames a month out of that, the capacity of that mold for sure. And the factories are quite big. So, uh, depending on what you need and oftentimes we will have multiple sizes of mediums and larges to, to, to meet the capacities that we need. Um, from a standpoint of once the frames are here and we, we are an assembly factory in the U S in addition to the prototyping. And, uh, so the assembling of the bicycles, the, um, like e-bikes, we have, I believe, seven or eight guys on our e-bike assembly line, mm-hmm. and they're capable of assembling, boxing, shipping, about twenty-five okay. e-bikes a day. Yeah, uh, with all of our uh, e-bike and non e-bikes, in uh, the size of our company in the U.S., we can we can ship about a hundred bikes a day.
0: Incredible. Well, Chris, I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be?
1: Oh, <laughs> don't give up. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's uh, it's okay to fail, and uh, but just to keep working at it, and yep. don't get angry. Just get get going and For sure. keep trying keep pushing and, uh, and it, it's a little cliche, but where there's a well, there's a way.
0: Exactly, for sure. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. And to right. the listeners, make sure to check out Pivot Cycles at pivotcycles.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small, if you would, Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.